0: Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Joining me today is Dr. Alicia Lutman, TMI, Class of 1999, and Associate Professor in the Division of Occupational Therapy at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. Dr. Lutman is here to share her journey in research and education for autism awareness for first responders. Her clinical experiences have ranged from development of a pediatric outpatient program and home health to outpatient adult and inpatient hospital settings. She's been educating first responders about providing care for individuals with autism and mental health conditions during emergency situations since 2009. She earned her bachelor's degree in exercise science from Concordia College, her master's of science in occupational therapy from Shenandoah University, and her doctorate of occupational therapy from the University of St. Augustine for health sciences. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Dr. Lutman, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So after TMI, you earned your bachelor's in exercise science. You continued to pursue your education and pursued a degree in occupational therapy. So when you graduated in TMI in 99, was this the course you expected to take? Why don't you tell me a little bit about that path from TMI and into occupational therapy?
1: So I actually originally thought that I wanted to do um, physical therapy, Because I had worked at a daycare for um, special needs children. It was through the Easter Seals in San Antonio. Um, And I met some pediatric physical therapists there. Um, And so I was all set to go to school at a school that had a high acceptance rate into physical therapy schools. And um, while I was in school, I became interested in athletic training. Um, So I started on the path to become an athletic trainer while I was getting the coursework done to do physical therapy, and um, in my junior year, I had the privilege of doing an internship to follow both a physical therapist and an occupational therapist, and that was when I realized that I wanted to do occupational therapy more than physical therapy. Um, Thankfully, the prerequisites were pretty similar for graduate school, so I didn't have a whole lot of extra classes that I had to take, um, but that was, that was kind of a, it, it, it was strange to me, I guess, because, like, for my entire educational career, starting out in college, I thought I was going to do physical therapy, um, and it, it's interesting how your path can change.
0: Yeah, it really is interesting how you just meet that one right person or you get an experience and it can really just change everything you thought. So you've had quite a bit of clinical experience once you kind of went on this path of occupational therapy. You've had a lot of clinical experience in a number of areas. Tell me a little bit about that and then what really drew you from to make the transition from the clinical side into this research and education?
1: So as far as my clinical experience goes, um, when I graduated from OT school, I really wanted to do pediatrics. That was where I wanted to be, but there weren't really any jobs in the area where I lived um, that were available at the time. So I started out working with older adults in assisted living facilities, um, and then a job came open for an outpatient position Um, at a hospital that was, it was a little ways from where I lived, but I applied for that job, um, thinking that it was going to be an outpatient adult job. It was something different. And that was about a year and a half after I had been practicing. And um, as I was working there, maybe about four months after I started there, the director came to me and said, how do you feel about kids? And I said, well, I'm definitely not allergic to them.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: But that is that that is where the pediatric clinic came about. I started out seeing one or two children, um, and it just blossomed to the point that there needed to be two full-time occupational therapists on staff because there was such a need. Um, and that is actually where I at that at that hospital is where I got the idea for um, starting a program in the area, um, educating first responders on working with children with autism, because. 75% of my caseload there um, was probably children with the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. I had other physical disabilities and some other conditions that came through, but it was a very high prevalence of autism. Um, and so we tried to have a program there where we had somebody brought in to the hospital um, to come in and talk to the community uh, first responders, so like the people that worked mm-hmm. at the emergency room there and the fire and rescue. And we invited everybody, and the only people that showed up for the presentation were the people that worked in the emergency room. Oh, wow. Um, So that was where I suddenly thought, huh, (laughs) something's (laughs) missing. We have this free program that can get you continuing education, and nobody wants to come, and it's a professional who's coming in and doing this, somebody who's been doing this for years. Um, And at that time, I was working towards my doctorate in occupational therapy, so I decided to undertake a project where I designed a program that was fit to the needs of the first responders um, and, and match, match their needs and their job descriptions and how they might interact um, and take it to them. Go to them. Go to the fire station. Go to the rescue squad. Go to the police department. Um, and so the very first the very first session that I ran was in Shenandoah County. Um, where I where I reside. And, mm-hmm. and this Shenandoah was University, in 2009, correct? That, that was in 2009. And Shenandoah University heard about my project, um, and they asked if I would be willing to come and do the project and use students to help with the research. Um, so in 2010, I did my first research project with the students educating individuals out in the community. Um, and since then... Um, I've been to the naval station at Mount Thurmont. Um We've been to the Washington-Dallas Airport Authority, some of the like the Fairfax County, some of the larger areas, as well as some of the smaller areas. I always like salute backgrounds and touch base with Shenandoah County, um, and so we, we kind of the Winchester area, all of these kind of smaller areas, as well as some of the larger areas, have reached out. Um, so that was I first started teaching with that research project. And as I was there more, they said, you know, why don't we see about this class and this class? And so I started teaching and I've taught lots of different classes within the program. Um, but now I teach um I actually teach the anatomy cadaver lab mm-hmm. um and I do the research class and I do some other classes within the program. Um but the whole time I have also kept clinical time. And so I've been able to kind of go in and out of different settings to work. Um, So I've been through the skilled nursing facilities, and I've been through – currently my practice is in um, school-based pediatrics is
0: what Mm -hmm. my clinical
1: time is. Um, But the the neat thing is I've been able to bring students in with me. So while while I'm working as a clinical – you know, as a clinician, I can also kind of be in there as an instructor for them for some of their clinical experiences as
0: well. And some of the students, they've also, you mentioned when you first got started, they helped with some of that research. Do you still bring them in on that research and keep them involved that way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So every year um, we have a faculty research project and we have six or seven students that join in with us. And so... um, This year, we're going to be um, kind of we're going to be stretching things out, and instead of going out into the community and doing the education program, we're going to be bringing community members in to kind of interview them and find out more about the education program and more about the needs of children within the community um, to kind of take a step back to refine things.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of research, tell me a little bit more about the program in 2009 that you started, because it went on for a while. You started with the initial phase, so I want you to talk a little bit about that and how it was received, but then you went on for the next couple years to do a phase two and phase three, so tell me a little bit more about the details of that entire research and what you kind of learned and gained from that. So the
1: the first year, 2009, was kind of my first time really teaching this material, to first responders, and realized at the get-go that I was definitely speaking in terms that they didn't necessarily understand. I understood mm-hmm. it because this is what I do for my job. I work with individuals that are on the spectrum, um, and I know how to deal with some of those behaviors. So I kind of had to take a step back and kind of change my approach. And so um, I started to um, look at the program as a whole and kind of on where things needed to be, and I decided that, you know, the most important things were that they understand that no, no two people with autism look the same, but to understand that these are some of the characteristics that you may see, these are some of the behaviors that, that you may see. Um, kind of talk about the background and help them understand that there really isn't truly a, a set, you know, the diagnosis is kind of like a checklist where we see these things. There isn't really a, there's not a blood test to say, yes, we have this, and that's where it can be very frustrating for parents. Um, but to help them understand that it's this this wide range. And then how to kind of diffuse the situation because if you get called into a crisis, an emergency, there's likely not going to be your typical behaviors that you're going to see. So kind of how to how to do your job, what you need to do within the realm of what's going on during the crisis situation. Um, so. The next year was the first year that I had students involved, and one of the things that they thought about was, you know, well, we could add a role-play component to help, um, to help individuals kind of have a better mm-hmm. understanding. Um, so we've tried every year. The students have kind of taken a different take on, on the project. Um, the following year, we decided that we wanted to really look at law enforcement. Um, And so we kind of changed some aspects about the program to really be geared more towards the law enforcement individuals as opposed to somebody who's maybe, you know, fire and rescue. They may be trying to get somebody out of a building um, that, you know, there's fire alarms going off and things like that, where police officers often get called into situations where, you know, there's been a there's a disturbance of some type and they know that they have to come in and keep the peace. Um, But then when they get to the scene, they realize that there's more to this disturbance than, than what they got from the original call. Um, And I think everybody has a different role from fire and rescue to the police officers. And so we have to appreciate those roles um, and recognize that how they interact with these individuals may be a little different. Um, So we took one year, um, we actually interviewed um, specific officers from different agencies. So we had a, a drug enforcement agent. Um, We had some school resource officers. We had state police officers um, who came in and actually did interviews so that we could talk about the training that they were actually receiving um, Mm -hmm. so that we could help to kind of refine some of the things that they needed to meet their their job requirements.
0: What were some of the most eye-opening things you learned about that, that the first responders were taking away from this? Um, I think one of the biggest
1: challenges for me was helping them understand that i'm i'm not here to talk about being a first responder. i'm not here to talk about being a police officer. that's not my job. i'm i'm here to tell you about individuals with autism and what you might see. and i think oftentimes, you know, when you when you go to a course, you think, oh, yeah, i'm going to come in here and this person's going to tell me, you know, how to do my job. and i think that was kind of a challenge that i needed to overcome because i'm an occupational therapist and it's kind of like, what does occupational therapy have anything to do with, you know, law enforcement? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really, the kids that I was seeing in the clinic were interacting with law enforcement officers on a regular basis because of things that were going on. Um, so I guess I'm kind of that, that bridge connection. And it was mm-hmm. kind of a, it, it made me take a step back to say, how can I, you know, break through that barrier and get through some of those stereotypes? And I think some of the stereotypes were also challenging.
0: Yeah, I believe that. Um, what kind of tips did you find were most beneficial for the first responders? If you, if we have any that are perhaps listening to the podcast, what are some of the things that you would give as takeaways that you do in your education for first responders?
1: I think one of the most important things is to understand that individuals with autism are on a spectrum, and so some may be able to communicate with you Um and some may not be able to communicate with you. And there are some who communicate by repeating what you have just said to them. Um, so they may not actually be answering the question that you asked. They may just be seeing the last part of the question. Um, and I think sometimes individuals that have what's called echolalia, where they repeat back what they have heard, Um, sometimes it can come across as somebody who's like, they're mimicking someone, like they're making fun of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not what they're actually trying to do to that officer. That's just how they communicate because they, um, they are unable to communicate on their own. Um, so I think that's just to think about the communication and that maybe you have to show them, maybe you have to draw a picture, um, and try not to use the word take. Like, I'm going to take your blood pressure. I'm going to take your temperature because... For an individual that is higher functioning, things can seem very literal, and so they can think that you're actually going to be taking something from them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think we have to be careful about our word choices and just understand that um, the, the, more, the, the more riled up and the more upset that they become, um, the harder it's going to be to keep the situation under control. And I think one other thing that we really need to consider in general and the population as a whole is that, um, anger and aggression, it, especially in boys and men, um, is actually it can often be anxiety and depression that's just manifesting itself as anger and aggression. So this may just be a very anxious individual that's kind of lashing out at you.
0: Those are those are great tips and. Kind of along those same lines, would you have any recommendations for someone who's perhaps a caregiver and in that situation when first responders are called out? Is there anything that the the caregiver can do to help keep the situation calm? Um, I think it
1: is important to, especially if they're nonverbal, to help communicate um, what the individual, you know, what the individual's likes are, dislikes, or if they have allergies, um, but also to kind of be more proactive as a, as a caregiver and like if you're, you know, if you're a parent or a caregiver, make sure that there's an information sheet that is provided to the 911 dispatch center so that especially if it's a, an individual that tends to elope or run away, um, they have a current picture and they kind of have all the information that they need right there on a sheet that they can pass out very quickly if they need to, if there's a search that needs to happen. And I think it's also important um, for caregivers to understand that, especially children on the autism spectrum, they're very drawn to water. And so if you have a child that has eloped or has run off and you are in an area where there's water nearby, that is the very first place that you need to check. Hmm. And then it's also kind of important to teach those kids how to swim. And they don't have to be Olympic swimmers, but be able to keep their head above water until someone can come help them because they are truly drawn to water.
0: That's interesting. It's really good advice, too. And so you've been researching and educating on this topic, especially the autism awareness for first responders, for the last nine years. Is this something that you continue every year? Do you continue to do a little bit more with the program? Yes, yes,
1: definitely. And we and I get to involve a new group of students from Shenandoah every year, and so that's what i that's what I enjoy about it.
0: That's great. Are there different areas of research that you do, or is this the primary focus?
1: So, um, I have had other research groups. um, I had one group that looked at um, post-secondary education, so like the college and university level, um, looking at access for individuals with disability to the environment itself, um, and kind of looking at how easy it is to get around campus and get from one building to another. Um, And I also had a group of research students that we looked at um, socialization for the elderly and kind of as we get into the end stages of life, how we um, kind of how how we socialize and how we find our social groups. So that was kind of another um, venture that was a little different. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. Do the students ever come up with research ideas? Do they bring them to you or is it a collaborative at different points?
1: So it tends to be kind
0: of what the line of interest is for
1: the faculty, Mm -hmm. Um, but what I like to do is just, you know, I go into the group and I say, this is what we've done in groups past. This is where we're at. Um, What would you guys like to kind of think about for going forward? So I brought to the group this semester that I really wanted to talk to caregivers directly um, about what their concerns are with individuals on the autism spectrum interacting with first responders. Um, and then they've kind of, they're kind of working to come up with ideas about what our research question will be and kind of how, you know, what our interview questions will be.
0: That's really great. That's good. So before we wrap up, I have some fun, a round of TMI questions for you that might take you down a, a trip down memory lane if you're ready. So what, what clubs and organizations were you involved in while you were at TMI?
1: So um, I was on the cross-country team, and I ran distance track, um, and then there was also a club that was just starting, and we called it the Environmental Explorers, and I have no idea if that's still going on, but it was, um, it was started by one of the math teachers, and um, Colonel Moore was also in charge of that, and so we did some camping ventures and things. Um, but I feel, like, I feel like TMI has changed since I was a student there, just kind of looking at all of the, the different opportunities and things that are going on for students. I feel like there's, there's a lot more now than there were back then.
0: There are definitely a lot of opportunities and, and a lot of different clubs. The students will come up with ideas for the clubs and find a faculty sponsor. So we've, we've definitely got a wide variety there of whether it's a club or some of the bigger extracurricular programs. We don't have the Environmental Explorers anymore, but maybe after listening to this, maybe some of the students will get that started again. <laughs> what, is, what is your best memory from TMI?
1: Um, I think some of my best memories were um, probably moments of, of being challenged. I feel like there were a lot of um, situations that uh, they were very frustrating for me in the moments. Um, But then later on in life, when I look back at it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, So I think think just kind of being pushed to be the best that I could, even though sometimes it was very frustrating because of the level of challenge.
0: That's great. We don't appreciate it in the moment, but after the fact, (laughs) we definitely do. Yes, yes. So did you have a favorite teacher at TMI, and who was it?
1: Um, I think... I don't. I think it was kind of tied for two. Um, I really loved chemistry with Mr. Gene. Um, I think my favorite thing was that on National Mole Day, he would go out into the hallways and spread a chemical that would make a loud popping noise when you stepped on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he, he absolutely loved to do that. Um, and then I think that my my tied favorite would have been uh, Mr. Ravella. I had him for a couple semesters of Spanish and, um, just the stories that he would tell. He was just so vivid. Um, but I think I really, I really enjoyed learning Spanish with him.
0: I've definitely heard a lot of our alumni over the years say that those two teachers were, were on their top. So I know you're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) So what is, what do you think is the biggest and most important lesson that TMI taught you or prepared you for?
1: Um, I think overall TMI helped to prepare me for college because I can remember sitting, especially I felt very strongly about my ability to write. Um, I felt very strongly with that um, when I was like in my, even in my freshman English class, I just, I felt like I was looking around at my fellow students who were really struggling with certain aspects of things. And I absolutely love to write and I've written a lot of um, articles because of research. Mm-hmm. And I just I have to do a lot of writing and my students have to do a lot of writing now. And I feel like I really learned how to be a strong student. Um, and I just was so much more prepared than maybe some of the other students that I was in school with in my undergraduate education. That I just felt like I kind of I was I was ready to hit the ground running.
0: That's really good to hear. And do you have any advice for our graduating seniors this year? Um. I think just expect the unexpected (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. because you're going to have everything planned out and you're going to think that everything's going to go one way and then everything's just going to flip upside down and it's okay. That's
0: kind of, that's kind of what it's about. Yeah, that's, that's definitely great advice. I, I think everyone can relate to that. (laughs) Um, so I'm going to be including some of the, the links in our show notes. You sent me a video and some publications that I'm going to include that uh, are related to the autism awareness for first responders and some of the school resource officers. If anyone wants to learn more about the work that you've been doing, is there anywhere online that they can go to follow you or your work?
1: Um, sure. I um, Because I teach at Shenandoah University, if you um, – just go to the su.edu web page. If you go to the faculty directory, I'm right there, and you can email me from the faculty directory.
0: Perfect. Well, those are all my questions for you, and so I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to visit with me a little bit today. Yes, thank you. Well, keep up the great work, and we'll be looking forward to seeing what research and programs you develop in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www dot tmi-sa dot org.